0: Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great call. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It's inerrant. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's all that we need to glorify and enjoy you. It's what we need for salvation for our own faith in life. And not only that, but it's beautiful. It's enjoyable to read. And Father, you've given us this wonderful story, a true story of our true Savior. Help us to not lose sight of how incredible this story is, though we know it well. Please apply to our hearts this passage and we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray and for the sake of his kingdom. Amen. It's really good to be back in Philadelphia. We were really excited to come into town. As we drove in, we said over and over again, this is such a great place. Why, Why do we ever leave here? We joked. We love this place. We love this place, this street. Oh man, all the memories. It was great. We just, the Lord was so good to us here. That's where our bumper fell off so we couldn't go on our Valentine's date. That's where the bumper fell off again right after we found out we lost our scholarship. This is the room we were in when we had to go to the emergency room right after moving here. And we realized we had all these great memories of the times when it wasn't smooth sailing. Because There's a lesson I've learned, and we've learned I should say, is that um, there are good times, there are bad times, but as of yet, I don't think there's such a thing as consistent, smooth sailing. The waters are choppy. It's just what happens. But it's incredible that when we look back on choppy waters, we don't say, oh, that was miserable. We say, that was wonderful. Wasn't God faithful? So he learned some lessons. Trust in the Lord. Depend on the Lord. And worship Him. And we see these things in our passage this morning. A need for trust. A need for dependence. And something that ought to lead everyone, everywhere, at all times, into worship. And so as we walk through this passage, we're going to look at five great things. A great storm, a great power, a great calm, a great fear, and then our great Savior. So look at verse 37. We're introduced to this great windstorm. Jesus and the disciples have... Left teaching, they're on the boat, they're sailing across, and we see here in verse 37 that there was a great windstorm. Now, I don't remember too much about the storms in the Philadelphia area. West Texas, there's no such thing as not great windstorm. There's nothing to stop the wind, so you just live in great wind. But I do remember times when Esty was driving back from work, and she's. I'm nervous, the tornado watch is going on, I don't understand why no one else is running down to the basement, because in Texas when that shows up, it means evacuate, and we get home, and she gets home, and we say, what was going on? Could it possibly have been a tornado? And the next morning, branches are down, trees are down, and I imagine feet on solid ground it was a scary story a scary storm but on a boat? I've been on a boat in the ocean in choppy waters and it wasn't stormy and it was scary and nauseating but to be on a boat in a storm is terrifying and Mark doesn't just tell us That it was a great windstorm. He also shows us. Look at the disciples' response. Keep in mind, these are fishermen. What do they do for a living? Where is their office? It's on the sea. It's on a boat. And they say to Jesus when they wake him up, We're going to die. Don't you care? Like have you not? Look out, look. Look over there. We're going to die. We're perishing. Do you not care, Jesus? So what kind of storm puts the professionals into panic? A great windstorm. And so we have to address a misconception that we might have. Of all the boats in the sea, which is the safest one to be on? The boat that Jesus is on, right? You would expect... If there was ever going to be a boat that would allow you the confidence to say getting from this side to that side is going to be smooth sailing, you would think being on the boat with the Messiah would be the ship that had the swiftest and sweetest sailing experience. That's not true. The other boats aren't going up and down, and Jesus' boat is going just calm the disciples wake up and they say master don't you care we're perishing and that's an important misconception because the disciples will go from this moment and they will never have an extended period of smooth sailing they'll be chased They'll be stoned. They'll be left for dead. They'll be left because they are dead. They'll be exiled. They'll be sent away. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 gives this description of a day in his life or many days in his life. Verse 24. You have to turn there just here. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times... I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul doesn't have a biography of smooth sailing. But he says, and this is almost comical later, when you think about this he says momentary light affliction I don't know about you but I don't look back on being beaten to death and shipwrecked and my first thought is it's kind of like a hangnail momentary light but something happened that made Paul and the other disciples and allows you and I to do this look back see that these storms have a positive. The first question we should ask, and we were answered in Psalm 103, who sent the storm? Who causes the waves to rise? Who is the one that brings the storm? The Heidelberg Catechism. Did something happen outside of God's providential will? Was this a, oops, I forgot about the weather on that day moment? Or is God sovereign? It's no accident. God commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted the waves of the sea. 107.25. Storms, this one, in reality and the other ones that occur in our day-to-day life do something powerful. I'll read a great Spurgeon quote for you. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. It's in our weakness. His power is made perfect. The storm gives us an opportunity to see the incredible, immense, mighty, wonderful power of God. The storm is worth it. And I know for sure that you have uncontrollable elements in your life that are uncomfortable, and I know it because that's our condition. But the storm leads us to trust and depend on something far greater than ourselves. Look what happens. This great storm in Mark provides an opportunity to see great power. Before we look at that great power, what was Jesus doing on the boat? He wasn't panicking with the disciples, he also wasn't. And is sitting there waiting for them to ask. He's, he's asleep. Well, what's going on there? I think this is important. First, we hear a lot of stories in the, the Gospel of Mark, especially, of Jesus being tired. He goes to, in the story with a Syrophoenician woman, he's gone up to Tyre and Sidon and he's hiding in a house hoping no one can find him, but as Matthew Henry says, you can't hide the sun under a basket. The light is just too bright. He can't escape. He's teaching. He's casting out demons. He's on the move. Mark says immediately, immediately, immediately. And Jesus is truly human. And I think Jesus is truly tired. And so we get to see that as Jesus took to himself a body that's like ours and he undergoes all the same infirmities that we have to undergo as humans, he has those exhausting moments, and he is asleep on a boat in a storm. Truly human. But also, Jesus knows where he's going. He knows what his death is going to be like. He knows where he's heading to. He knows his purpose. He knows his fulfillment. He has a confidence and trust in that beautiful relationship that he has with the Father. He knows where he's going. And so they wake him up, and he doesn't wake up in panic. He wakes up, and he rebukes the sea. He speaks, and he says, be still. Do you ever talk to cars in traffic? I do. They don't listen to me. And if they did listen to me, I don't think they'd obey me. And I don't know that I want to hear other cars talking to me. I know what that might be like. Things that don't listen to you, you generally don't talk to. And when there's a mighty storm brewing, I, don't, I might sing, rain, rain, go away, come again another day, but I don't go out and rebuke the storm and talk to the storm. I pray if I'm truly afraid of what's coming, I pray to the God Who does control the storms because I know it's his power and his providence and his strength and might that I depend on. Jesus talks to the storm. And what's more incredible is this it listens. He says, Hush, be still. Peace. Be still. There's only one who has the power to stop that storm. And he just showed it. He's asleep, truly human. He stops the storm, truly God. He is the one who commands the waves. And in the aftermath of this great storm, and after Jesus reveals his great power, Mark does a bit of great writing, and he describes what happens next. Look, peace, be still. Interesting, by the way, chapter 1, when he casts out a demon, he says those same words. what happens there was a great calm mountainous waves to a sea of glass it's from mighty crests deep troughs we've got this kids book and there's this giant splashing wave that's just breaking the boat and then the next page is just a straight line across. I was told that that wouldn't be a fisherman's friend because that means they can't go anywhere. But I'm sure they can be sorted out later. But there's great calm, no wind, no waves, just the peace that he commanded. Have you ever experienced something that was so peaceful that you would call it a great Calm. What would that be like? What's the example? What's the moment where the waves of life are billowing and, and building and crashing? You think you're drowning? You, maybe it's real waves where you're on the sea and you're praying to the Lord, get me off of this boat, get me on dry land. What does it look like to go from we're going to die great calm. No more storms. No more sea monsters. No more anxiety. No more tears. No more fear of death. Perfect peace. Which is a foretaste of the ultimate peace that those who call upon the name of Jesus will be provided. The ultimate foretaste, excuse me, the foretaste of the ultimate peace that is provided by those who call upon the name of the Lord, who trust in their Savior, Jesus Christ. You believe in Him. You call upon His name. Not guaranteed smooth sailing today, tomorrow, or the day after. But one day, there will be great calm perfect peace for those who trust in him. But what I think is funny is the disciples don't really seem to get an opportunity to enjoy that perfect peace. Because what happens to them? Well, we need to ask one more question before we look further into the text. Were the disciples actually scared Before Jesus calms the storm. It has to be absolutely. You're not unafraid when you say, we're going to die. I've never met anybody who said, we're going to die, who was like, I wasn't really afraid. Um, You say, we're going to die, we're perishing, that means that you are, in fact, afraid. That's just the way it goes. Um, You might say later, I wasn't afraid, but everyone knows that once you said, we're going to die, you're scared. So, Mark does something clever here. You'll notice he doesn't use the word fear until after Jesus calms the storm. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, and the disciples were afraid, and then Jesus calmed the storm, and then they were greatly afraid. He ignores the word fear. He says they were asking, are we going to die? But it isn't until Jesus calms the storm that they're filled with by Mark's account, with fear. You have to wonder, what's, what's going on? Well, um, why would this fill them with fear? First, I think Jesus is greater than the fear that they have. Um, if you would imagine that maybe a, a lion were to prowl in here and begin to run towards you and pounce, and then, um, I think I see Molly back there, if Molly was to stand up and catch the lion and set it down on the ground, no one would stop being afraid of the lion, but you would be terrified of Molly Kirkland. (laughs) The thing that scared you to death pounced, and she caught and sat down, and that's scary. But the one who has power over the thing that terrifies me, that's great fear. He is mightier than their fear. But two, what did he do? He did something only God can do. Psalm 103. If you look at it for a moment, it's on uh, four and five of your order of worship. They cried to the verse 28. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them. He made the storm be still, and the waves were hushed. This is the act of God. This is something they can't comprehend. Their mind has to be absolutely blown by this reality. This teacher they've been following just stood up. He talked to a storm. He was asleep during it, which is already weird enough in my opinion. He stands up. He stops the storm. They are terrified. They can't comprehend. And this this is the main point. Who made the world? God did. Who orders the cosmos? God does. Who commands the world and controls creation? God does. It's God's. And who did it just obey? God. Jesus is God. Their minds are blown because the one it was created by, for, and through just exercised his dominion on creation. Power is on display. And he leads Jesus to ask this question, because he sees the fear in them. "Are you still afraid?" This wasn't Jesus' first miracle, was it? It wasn't the first time they saw him do something. Are you still afraid? Do you have faith? That's an important question, isn't it? Do you have faith? Do you know who He is? Do you remember who He is? Do you see His blessings in your life and forget just who He is? And J.C. Ryle comments that it's a great comfort in that question. Jesus is exceedingly patient when dealing with his faithless followers and dealing with his people. We should be, you and I should be intimidated by the power that resides in our Savior. It should be an intimidating thing. But this fear is the beginning of wisdom. And this fear can be replaced by love If you call upon the name of the Lord if He is your Savior, if you believe that He rose from the dead, which is looking a little bit forward from where we are in the story, but if you believe those things if you trust in Him for those things if you see that He is King and He is God and He rose from the dead, He is Lord, your fear is replaced not with a lack of fear or reverence but with a confidence and a trust and an adoration of the one who you know saves you from death don't you have faith? Is a question that we should ask ourselves frequently. Do I trust in the one who commands the seas? The disciples were afraid. But look again at Psalm 107, verse 32. This is after in the psalm that the storm has been calmed. And what does it say? Let we'll read verse 31 also. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. This should lead us to doxology. It should lead us to glorifying God. We should see this story. We should see who Jesus is. And there should be fear, but that fear should give way to praise God. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. The response to this power, fear is not a bad response unless it stops there. Fear should lead to praise. You should trust him in the storms. You should depend on him when life is out of control. And you should praise him when you see his mighty power. Because it's not just a great storm, it's not just great power, it's not just great calm, it's not just great fear. It's the true story of the true and great Savior. And while it's about Him overcoming nature and demonstrating His power, what do miracles point to? That He's God. But where is Jesus headed to? The disciples ask that question. Jesus, don't you care? Don't raise your hand. Who asks that question regularly? Jesus, don't you care? About me? About us? Don't you see? If the disciples only knew at that moment how much Jesus cared. If they only knew that the Son of God, truly God, truly man, was on His way to the cross to bear our wrath, to wear our sin, because of His love for His people, if we truly remembered that in the moment, we wouldn't dare say, don't you care? He cares so much, you and I can't comprehend it. But he's patient and he invites the question because he does care and he sees that we are in stormy waters. One day, he's not going to just write the stormy seas, he's going to write every wrong. No more tears, no more sadness, no more death. It's going to be gone. Because He goes to the cross. And after the cross is resurrection. And after the resurrection is ascension. Death is swallowed up. He conquered it. And when He comes back, we will get to be in perfect peace. We will get to be in great calm. And for those who call upon His name, can look back and say, momentary light affliction. Praise God for the storm that threw me against the rock that made me depend not on myself, not on my spouse, not on my job, not on my government, not on my financial circumstances. Praise God that I depend on God and praise God for the storm that sent me there. The storm, here, it came and it went. They come and they go. They blow in, they blow out. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He sees you. When you ask, does he care, I can tell you the answer. With certainty, if you call on his name, The answer to the question, does He care, is so much that He died on the cross for you. Great Savior. Great storm? Absolutely. But great, great Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for all that You do for us. I do thank You for this story that we get to see that Your Son is God over creation. I thank you that we get to see his power. We get to see the weakness of the disciples that we can so identify in. And we get to see the might and the faithfulness of the Savior that we have union with if we call on his name. Father, help us to accurately see our situation. Help us to call upon your name, to be bold and honest but help us to never forget that we should trust you because you are trustworthy we we should depend on you because you are dependable and we should praise you because you are worthy of praise help us to go from here and trust and depend and praise and help us to see our great savior and we ask these things in Jesus name For the sake of his kingdom. Amen.